day. I want to share a little story with you this morning. Um, recently, I was a classmate of mine who actually lives in California gave me a phone call, and she wanted to give me an encouraging word. She uh, gave me a phone call basically saying that she got a, a word from the Lord. She was praying for me, and God gave her something to tell me. And that basically, without going into detail, was she said that God wants me to start seeing myself the way that he sees me. That whatever I'm going through mentally, whatever I'm facing in my mind, that God understands that no matter what I, my circumstances tell me, no matter what I've been through in my past, no matter how many struggles I'm facing or have faced, those don't define me. Because God wants me to see myself in the way that God sees me. And I took that away and I prayed and I said, God, you know, I understand that, but I didn't realize that those thoughts were getting to me. I didn't realize that those things I was facing mentally were controlling the way I saw myself. And it hit me, you know, that verse came to mind at 2 Corinthians 10, 5. It says, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sells itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And I applied that to my own life, and I said, God, I don't want my thoughts to control me. Because the way you see me, God, you see me free. You see me as perfect. You want to use me in the supernatural? How can I be used in the supernatural if I'm bound by the thoughts of this world, the thoughts of the flesh? So I said, God, I'm going to take these thoughts captive. So I want to encourage you this morning to take every thought captive that isn't of God, things of the flesh, things of your past, things that limit you in the human mentality, anything that is going to set you apart from God. You don't want anything to do with it. Let's set ourselves apart to live holy so that we're one with God so that we can see the supernatural. So this morning, let's pray together and ask God to move in supernatural ways. Father, I ask you right now in this place that you would move in each one of us that you would bind up the thoughts of the flesh. You bind up the way we and our humanists see ourselves. But God, we would begin to understand that you set us free. That we are one with this world, but God, we are one with you. And so, Lord, we would see ourselves free from sin, free. God, that we would move, God, and experience the supernatural, not bound by the things of this world. That we would experience healing. God, we would experience seeing our family set free. The captives would be set free this morning. You would use us in the supernatural. And we ask this all in your beautiful, holy name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. This is what we're going to do. We have a lot of space up here at the front. We haven't really broken it up. So I'm going to encourage if you guys want to come up to the front. Just get a little closer. Come on and grab your neighbor. We're going to have a fun time today in worship. This first song is called Search My Heart. And just like Christina was saying, God, you are heart. And we're asking God that God, during these times, we'll allow you in our heart. Come on. Come on, tell God, God, I'll allow you in my heart this morning. Come on. Come sing it out. Search my heart and search my soul. There's nothing else that I want more. Shine your light. Shine your light and show your face. Believe 
We welcome your glory. We welcome your glory to fill this house, fill this temple, Lord. Fill your people. Oh, come on and say his name this morning. The name that's above all names. The name of Jesus. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Jesus. We call you. We follow you. We follow you. Search our hearts, just come search our hearts with all we are. We worship you. Worship you, Lord. Our such a sweet presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. Oh God, we thank you. You were here to begin with. We're just realizing, God, that you want to move. Oh, come show us your glory, Lord. We press in, we press in. We love you, Lord. Oh, it's all about Jesus this morning, amen. This next song is talking just about that, how Jesus Christ came and he overcame when he died on the cross. Your name, 
going to sing in all authority. And all authority, every victory is yours. Come on, claim it, all authority. All
speaking in tongues come on come on just pray in faith right now he's in this room 
Sona na masi na mama sura baba basi. Ona na masu katara baba basi. Sona na mama sura baba basi la baba so. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your spirit. Sona na masi la baba so. We bless your name. We surpass the sun. Come speak to your people this morning, God. Oh, precious Jesus, beautiful Jesus. We plead your blood over every area in our life, Lord. For every person in this room, we plead your blood. We plead your Lord. Cool, right now, we're just going to allow the Holy Spirit just continue in this attitude of worship right now to just give us words from the throne room. Come on, give us words from the Father, Holy Spirit. What is our Father saying to us this morning? Come speak to your church. Come speak to your bride. We want to know what you're saying to us, O Lord. We want to hear your voice. three words just given out right now about returning to God, about not running away from God, about returning to Him. Well, right now, if that's you, if you've been running away from God in every facet of life, 
unicorn. You can be saved in this place, and God has been leading to you to a place that you've been running. You've been doubting. You've been pushing away, God. Come on. If you have been running from God, come on. We want you to return right now. This altar is open. This altar is open. Come on. We return to you. We return to you. God, we pray for every person in this place, God, that has been running, God. God, we pray that you seize their hearts right now. Right now, Holy Spirit, come arrest them where they're at, God. And fill them with your love, God. Change their heart. God, rip it away, their doubts and their fears. God, rip their sin away, God. Oh, bless you. Come on, just return right now. Return, return. Let your hearts return this morning. Oh, Nana Masse. Sing that. Jesus, burning for you, God. Hallelujah. Jesus, burning for you. Yeah. 
Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Lord God, let our lives be a drink offering unto you, God. Lord God, we give you our lives. We give you all that we are, God. Everything that we can become, God, and every, all of our goals and desires for life, Lord God, we submit them unto you, Lord God. Let us be a flame for you, God burning for you, God, lighting up this world for you, Jesus, lighting up this world, God. God, I know you have some great things planned for today's service, Lord. God, you are doing something, God, from the worship songs that you put on Pastor Adam's heart, God, the words, Lord God, of prophecy, Lord God, and just encouragement for the body, God, that you put on us here through Nancy, God, through Tina. God, you are doing something here today, God. Your heart is for the lost, Lord Jesus. And it's not just for Chicago, Lord God, but it's for this state, it's for this nation, and it's for this world, God. I want us to now have the, the nations on our heart. The nations have always been on my heart for as long as I've been saved. I've had the opportunity to go on a few mission trips, and I've seen the way people have suffered. And I've seen the effects of idolatry and, and just the lack of godliness in these nations. So let's lift up the nations. Whatever nation is on your heart right now, I want you to lift it up before the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. We lift up the nations to you, God. Hallelujah. God, I lift up Nigeria, Lord God, and the conflicts in that nation, Lord God. The, the, the Muslims and the army, Lord God, going into schools and massacring these students, Lord God. Christian students are being massacred in that nation, Lord God. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Jesus. Have mercy over Nigeria, Lord God. Save the Muslims, God. Save the generals. Save, Lord God, the high officials in that nation, Lord God, to turn around the politics towards you, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, you are the Lord of the nations. The nations are in your hands, Lord. The nations are in your hands, God. Direct the hearts of the leaders, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, have mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't stop praying. Lift up the nations for their salvation, for their turnaround to God, that God will have mercy on them and save the nations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. God, we declare that the nations are yours. Well, God, we, and we ask you for the nations. God, because you ask us to ask you for the nations, Lord God, as our inheritance, God. Father, give us our inheritance. We ask for our inheritance of the nations, Lord. Lord God, we will not squander our inheritance. We will not give it up, Lord God, for the things of the world, God. But we will go after it, Lord God, receiving that inheritance from you, God, and doing right by you with it. The name of Jesus. Lord, the nations are yours, God. Lord God, here we are. Send us. Here we are, God. Use us. Jesus. Jesus, I thank you. God, for the salvation that you have offered us. For the love that you have given us, God. God, let us go in that love to the nations. Lord God, if we cannot go, Lord God, let us support the nations with our prayers. Let's support the nations, Lord God, with our financial giving if we are able, God. God, bless us to be a blessing. In the name of Jesus, let's give God a hand clap of praise. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you guys for praying with me. Thank you for lifting up the nations with me. The, the nations are on God's heart. He loves the nations. Amen. Amen. Now I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Now, it's no coincidence that God is having us uh, listen to the, the words of prophecy tonight during, during the service. There's no coincidence that that, that, specific that specific word from God was on Nancy's heart and Tina's. A word for the nations. Why? Because God wants the nations to be saved. God wants people to know him. Amen? God wants people to know him. And Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Please go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to talk to you about the living hope, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Everyone say new birth. New birth into a living hope. Everyone say living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, this is another part of the Bible where we see that new birth, right? Jesus talked about that new birth to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says you need to be born again to see the kingdom of God. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, this is new birth. Now, in God's great mercy, he has given us new birth. Now, what was on my heart when I was praying was the inheritance of the nations. Now, you know, in... in Still nowadays, there are people that are born into royalty. Now, royalty is not something that's as, as uh, predominant as it was hundreds of years ago with, with kings and, and just royal blood, noble blood. People were born into families like that. Now, all of us were born into a certain family. I was born into 
a, a, an Italian family, somewhat Italian. I, I just carried the last name, really, Vitali. Okay, so I was born into an Italian family. Some of you are born into a Hispanic family and Polish family, whatever nations are here. Okay, so we are born into a certain type of family. Now, when we come to Jesus, we are born into his family. Amen? We, are, we have a new birth. But some of us kind of squander that, that name now. You know, when people get married and you're born into a family, you, you carry that name. You carry that family line, and you're part of that family. Now, some of us, you know, kind of go against what our parents say, and then they want to disown us. They, they want to just get rid of us. They, they're ashamed that we carry that name now. And in some aspects, that's, that's true with God. We, we get born into, into, into Christianity, and we carry Jesus' name, Jesus Christ. We are Christians. We are like Christ supposed to be, but we squander that. And we, we, we choose to be born again and then born again into a different family. And what Jesus said when he said to the Pharisees, you are the children of the devil. Now, I know none of you have that intentional heart to be a, ch a child of the devil. But it's something that we need, to, we need to think about. We need to think about our actions. We need to think about what we do in life. The things we carry out. Now, it says... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now let's go to verse 13. I want to give you three things you, as an application to this, okay? So that, that, new, that living hope that we have comes through Jesus Christ. Now the key word is living. It's a living hope. It's not dead. So are you putting your hope in things that are dead? Are you putting your hope in this world? Are you putting your hope in, oh, I just need to be a, a good parent if I'm, a, if I'm a good parent and a good person, I will go to heaven. No, it's through that resurrection of Jesus Christ that by which we have that living hope. Verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action. So the first thing, prepare your minds. Prepare your minds. Evaluate your life and what you're doing, what you're doing with your life, what you're doing with your time. Second thing, second thing be self-controlled. Are things in your life out of control? There's certain sins you don't have in check in your life. And three, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Amen. So prepare your minds and pray. Evaluate your life. Be self-controlled and set your hope because that hope is in Jesus Christ. It's not in this world. Amen. Let us stand together. Now what I want to do right now is, is first dismiss the... The children, the kids, fifth grades and younger. So, you know, just give it up for the kids as they, as they go. And now I want to, I want to do the confession of faith. Okay, but before we do, I want to pray for you. And I want to let you know that the leaders over here, uh, Berto and Griselda, will be over here to pray with you. If you want to accept Jesus in your heart, because God's heart is here in this place. And he wants you, he wants you to accept him as your Lord and Savior. So if you need prayer, go to them and pray. And also, if you haven't joined the life group or gotten in discipleship, go over there and talk to them. They'll give you all the details, okay? Let us pray. Father God, I thank you. 
Lord God, for your word, Lord God, that convicts our hearts, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that this living hope will be alive in us because it's like a relationship with you. It's alive. It's interactive with us, God. Let us have that hope today. Let those who don't have Jesus receive that hope and get born again into the, into the family line of Father God in Jesus' name. Let us confess. Let us recite our confession of faith on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Give God a clap of praise. Amen. Go ahead and greet your neighbor, okay? Invite them to your life group. Come on. Greet your neighbor. you love them come on amen Jesus.
Amen. We just want to welcome you to Metro Praise International. I'm Joe. I'm so glad that you're here. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad that you're here. Amen. Aren't you glad that you came to church this morning? Aren't you glad that your friends came to church? I want to do something special before we, we uh, go forward in our announcements. I just want to honor uh, anyone here that's ever served or is serving currently in the military. If you're here, do we have any servicemen here today? Would you stand up, please, and can we just give you a hand clap? I know there's some. Would you remain standing as we all now stand? We're going to pray for our nation. Tomorrow is Veterans Day. Do they still give that off for schools? Okay. Amen. Amen. I want to believe God that our nation is going to have the best days ahead. Some of us were disappointed in the election. It wasn't about red or blue. It wasn't about a candidate. It was about some principles. Some things that grieved my heart during this election is that uh, the president we appoint now, who's re-elected President Barack Obama, is going to have the opportunity to, to possibly put two to three uh, judges in the Supreme Court. And what that means is when very uh, important issues come before our nation, those judges will probably think the way he does. And we know that he agrees with same-sex and he agrees with abortion, same-sex marriage and, and abortion. As a matter of fact, he is the most vocal and outspoken in those areas. Now, I believe when our grandparents, those that came before us, all the way down to our founding fathers, when they fought for our freedom, they were not fighting for the freedom for us to destroy ourselves. They weren't fighting for us to have uh, no law in our morals. They wanted a group of people, free people, to live out their morals in a free nation. And so as we're honoring these veterans, I want to believe God at the same time that the best days ahead are for our nation. That legalizing marijuana isn't the heart of our people, that people's hearts will change. I don't know if you know that, but two states during the presidential election legalized marijuana. Different states legalized same-sex marriages. And we got people right now laying down their lives in different parts of the world. My nephew gave his life in Afghanistan. And we're fighting for freedom. And here in America, we're destroying ourselves by the moral fabric. We're, you know, you look at like a, 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 a rug, you know, and pulling out the strands. Eventually, there's no rug. You look at your clothes, you pull it out. If you take away the fabric from what you're wearing or clothing yourself with, it all goes away. There's nothing left. And I feel like we're taking away that moral fabric. And it's no coincidence that the majority of those who, who serve in the military have those same values. It's no coincidence that the majority of people, you know, who serve, firefighting, civil servants, you know, have the same ideas that we do because they understand that when a society allows these things, it gets out of hand. That the degradation of a people become unmanageable even by military force. Take, for example, right now with our teenagers on the streets of the west side of Chicago. There is nothing our police officers can do to stop that. How much better do you think that community will be if they legalized marijuana? Hello? How much better do you think that community is that we've allowed abortions and the African-American community has three times the amount of abortions than the, than the average person? 
You see, has abortion helped our community out there? Poverty, has it taken it away? Has, uh, has marijuana helped out those people? Sending more police officers there as it helped out. When we took the Bible out of those schools and these children don't learn, you know, the Ten Commandments, has that helped? Today what we need in our nation is a revival. And what that means is something dead comes alive. We need a revival of God's principles. We need a revival of the principles of God. And so today when we're honoring veterans, we're not just saying, hey, we salute you because you carried a gun. We're saying we salute you because you helped preserve our principles. You helped preserve this nation. And we don't want to lose that. And we thank you for that. And we want to do our part today and pray that God will bless you, your families. If there's been anything you've brought back from the war, any... any uh, injury or any trauma we pray that God will bless you and heal you and I'm going to ask that Ishmael one of our elders would come and pray for our soldiers the veterans and for this nation would you give that for a uh, brother uh, Ishmael here he has a great heart for this nation amen would you pray for our people dear Lord we adore you right now we just adore you God Lord let our heart in this nation be a heart of adoration towards you Lord God, not looking to ourselves, not looking to the almighty dollar, but the almighty God in heaven. Father God, we lift up our hands right now and worship you now. Father God, we want to just come close to the throne room in worship, Lord. We confess, God. We confess our wickedness, our shame, God. As one people, we confess. Not as a divided people, not as a left, a right, a blue, a red. But as one people, we confess our sin. Lord, and we thank you for the mercies that you've given us thus far. We thank you for the grace that you've shown us up till this day, God. Lord God, in your, in your wrath, remember mercy. In your wrath, remember mercy. Jesus, and now I lift up those veterans, God, who have fought, fought for our freedoms to preserve our rights our God-given rights, Lord God of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Lord, bless every veteran in this place today. Lord God, lift up their spirit, God. There is a new day in America. It is morning in America, God. Let us have faith in you, Lord God. Let, let us see a bright star, Father God. Let us have a hope, not in a man, God, not in a president, but a hope in you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We lift you up. Bless every veteran in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stay standing, please? Because I want to read this to you as we're thinking about Thanksgiving. Do you know that our first president, George Washington, made a proclamation for Thanksgiving? How do we see this day in our schools? When, when our children are thinking about Thanksgiving, what do they think about the Indians, turkeys, you know, getting together. Do they even talk about George Washington's proclamation, why he called it? When was the last time you even had one of your children return back to school or, or from school or you who have gone to school heard somebody say the reason of Thanksgiving was to be thankful to God? You probably have never heard that. Thanksgiving was a day unto God. Let me just tell you what he said and share with you why this is so important. He said, that I recommend to the United States a day of thanksgiving that we may beseech 
the Almighty God, especially by affording us an opportunity to peaceably establish a form of government for our safety and happiness. And then he goes on to say, one now lately instituted for the civil and religious liberty with which we are blessed in the means for acquiring the useful knowledge. So he says, I'm thankful that I have a place to be free and free of worship. Now watch. He says that we may unite most humbly in offering our prayers and supplication to the great Lord and ruler of the nations. This is what we're supposed to do at time of thanksgiving by a nation. When we have a day off, we're supposed to offer our prayers to the Lord of this nation. And then look what it continues to say. And beseech him to pardon our public and private sins to enable us, whether in public or private stations, to perform our several related duties properly and punctually. He said once a year we were supposed to stop, pray, Say, thank you, God, for a free country. Thank you for a place where we can worship you. And then, Lord, search my heart. Have I sinned privately or publicly? Senators, have we sinned privately or publicly? Presidents, have we sinned publicly or privately? Dear God, friends, that's what we need again. Now I want us to pray a special prayer for the President of the United States. We're not going to mock him. We're not going to mistreat him. We're going to pray, as the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, for all those in authority. And what we're going to pray for him specifically is as the leader of this nation and the greatest nation on the planet. How many still believe America is the greatest nation? Amen. We believe that. That's why you and your family came here. We're going to pray that God helps him to be thankful and that he searches his heart as we search ours. Amen. So let's just pray. Father, we pray for President Barack Obama that he will turn to you during this Thanksgiving time. Be thankful for the nation he serves in. And I pray, Lord, he will search his heart. He will search his heart for what he has done publicly or privately as sin. And that, Lord, he will set an example for doing what is righteous in this nation to the Congress and all those that follow. God bless our president. Change his heart so he'll see things the way you do. Give him the heart of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, John Quincy Adams. Oh, God, give him that heart. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Would you bless the Lord one more time? You may be seated. Come on. Slap your neighbor high five and say, this is cool church. See, we don't just talk about fluffy things and, and fairy tales. We, you know, I don't believe the Bible's a fairy tale, but sometimes people think we're so heavenly minded. We're no earthly good. We're also talking about things that affect your everyday life. Amen. Amen. So we want to thank you for coming here every Sunday at 10 a.m. Is, is the church service for you. We just welcome you and the whole family. Also, Wednesday encounter nights at 7 and then elevate. Come on, teenagers, every Friday at 7 o'clock, come on out. God is showing up and blowing up. We have some special announcements for you guys, so I want you to get excited. One of them is November uh, 25th. That's Sunday after Thanksgiving. We have the man of God of faith and power for the hour. My pastor, your pastor over me. So if you want to know where do I get my marching orders from, how, do I, how did I learn to be a pastor, this is the man that brought me up in Bible college. We've been in a relationship over 15 years. Some of you are new to the church, never met him. Come Sunday at 10 a.m. because he is going to bring the boom shakalaka. Look at your neighbor and say, raising radicals. 
Amen. He is raising radicals. I want you to be here. His name's Anthony Freeman, awesome man of God. He is going to bless you. Bring your friends and family. And that day is also a special day. He's coming in for the ordination of our pastoral elders. So those that have graduated and are now into uh, the ministry, we're going to ordain them. And there's some graduating, the 201, who will be coming deacon. So it is going to be awesome. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't want to miss it. Amen. You don't want to miss it. And then here's our family fun night. It's always the last Wednesday of the month. We're going to have a pajama party. Okay. Now let me just tell you, why do we do this stuff? We do this so you can have fun with your family during the week, something for you to get together with your children and hang out and have a good time. And Pastor Bird on them always do an awesome job. Can I hear an amen? So it's going to be at the end of the month, November 28th. We're going to watch the Lorax here on the big screen. There'll be video games out there, free snacks, and just come in your PJs. Amen. Some of y'all wear your PJs all the time, you know, to the mall and different things. And we rebuke that PJ spirit off some of y'all because you got to get a J-O-B. Amen. But this is going to be fun. Just come in your PJs. And if you don't want to, just come and have fun anyway. Amen. Amen. Also, we're doing the Truth Project. How many have been enjoying the Truth Project in life groups? Amen. This has been a powerful season. You know, my wife and I lead the staff life group, and we don't want to play the video there again because they're doing it in their, in their, uh, their homes. So we actually do it by ourselves, uh, you know, because our life group is with the staff. And when we, we look at these lessons, just sitting here with my wife, I'm like, man, this is blowing my mind. I can only imagine what y'all are getting from this with your life group leaders. If you're happy that your life group leaders are studying, presenting this to you, and doing an awesome job, can you just give them a hand clap today? Amen. Thank you, life group leaders. And if you don't know about it, here it is. We got a flyer for you, Truth Project. We're meeting in our life groups, learning these things from Focus on the Family, 12 important lessons that will give you truth to your everyday life. And so we want you to come out and be a part of that. Metro Praise has a vision. Everybody say a vision. Thank you. Our vision is to love God and love people. That will never change. We have a strategy to disciple folks. Somebody say a discipleship strategy. Amen. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. We're going to do it by connect, mentor, and send. Somebody say connect. Somebody say mentor and send. Amen. Where does our vision come from? The very words of Jesus. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How many want to do that? Can I get a woo-woo? Amen. So do the vision. Look at your neighbor and say, fulfill the vision. Thank you very much. And then this is what makes us different. This is what makes us unique, our discipleship strategy. Because everybody can say, man, I love God, I love people. But the question is, what are you doing about it? Like I could say to my wife, I love you, but if I don't ever buy her stuff on her birthday or anniversary or give her a little back rub, she's going to say, where's your love at? She says, you got to show me that you love me. Look at your neighbor, neighbor and say, show me the love. Amen. You need to show somebody the love. You need to take them out for lunch today. No, I'm just kidding. But when we talk about showing the love for God, he said go into all the world and make disciples. How many disciples did Jesus have upon this earth? Twelve. The Bible says we need to do that same thing. How do we do it? Connect you to weekly life groups. Is anybody here excited about life groups? One more time. Can we bless the Lord that we get you going during the week? We don't let your week be boring. We get you going for Jesus, showing up at somebody's house. Do that. Get involved. Look at your neighbor and say, do it. I'm just having you all help me today. I think a lot of people think about the weather. It's a nice day. Anybody going to do something fun outside today? Dude, I'm just going to walk. I'm going to walk. Any joggers today going to jog? 
Amen. It's like the walkers versus the joggers. I'm a walker. But I'm going to go out and walk today. I'm going to enjoy the day. But you know what's most important to me? is serving God. And how do I do that? By joining life groups. My life group is with the staff. The staff life group is with you. And it continues to pass on. You can start one on your job with your friends. Life groups are a place to get life. And then mentor. Everybody say mentor. Thank you. That's where we use our books to disciple you. And you might say, Pastor, I've heard this. Yeah, you've heard this before. And I've been saying it for seven years. And I'm going to keep saying it. Amen. Because we want you to do it. And can you believe it? That there's people in our church that have been here for years that still don't do it. It's like, what is wrong with you? How can you not understand what we're about? Amen. I can see if you go to a church and they say, like, you know, we like pinatas or something. And you're like, I'm cool with that. I'll, I'll try a pinata every now and then, you know, but I can live without a pinata. We're not giving you a choice to live without discipleship. It's not like you can come to Jesus' you know, kingdom and go, eh, I'm not sure about that discipleship stuff. You know, like you're buying a new car. And ah, I don't know if I need the GPS added. This is fundamental to your life. And I apologize if there's not other churches teaching you like this. This is how you need to be taught. So we do it here, one-on-one. Somebody say one-on-one. Thank you. That's where you do it, one-on-one with a mentor or leader. Then when you graduate, you do the 201, and you become a history maker, roof breaker, and a world changer for Jesus. Amen? And we send you out for evangelism. And one of the greatest things you can do to evangelize now, Saturdays with the abortion ministry, going to the clinics there, heard it was awesome. We have other uh, other 10 times during the week you you can become a part of. Why is this important? Because we have a vision to love God, love people. We have a strategy to connect, mentor, and send. And if we do this correctly, we could see the goal of 100,000 disciples here in this city with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you believe it, will you stand to your feet? Will you stand to your feet and give God some crazy praise right now and just say, Jesus, help us? Amen. Would you stay standing as we receive uh, prepare to receive our tithes and offerings. I believe in what we do here. I would rather do this than anything else. Some people leave our church. I mean, it's sad but true. Some people leave our church and they say, you know, this is too much. I want to go do something else. You need to understand something. The church that you may be joining or going to, we've already been at and left there to come do this. <laughs> I don't know if some of y'all got my point. I'm going to say it again. See, we're not trying to say we're the only church with a band. There's tons of churches with bands, choirs, and all that. We're not trying to say that we're the only church that has a Bible study. What we're trying to say is when you look for churches in Chicago that are willing to disciple you, even if it costs them something, you find few and far in between. And there's not many. And so those of you who are here, we need you to help us because you believe in this. If you wanted to do something else, then you should go do it at that church. But if you believe in this church, then we need your help. We didn't come to preach to crowds. How many know your pastor can preach? I can preach. How many know they can sing songs? How many know if we wanted to cut this down to an hour and 15 minutes and just give you a bless me message, we could be one of the best at that? That's not what we want to do. We want to challenge you to grow in your faith. We want to challenge you to evangelize and share your faith. And so when it comes to tithes and offerings, we believe that if every person does their job, we don't have to beg and plead, have bake sales, candle sales, uh, pasta party sales, you know what I'm saying? We don't have to charge our kids $5 to come for the concert, etc. We can give everything away for F-R-E-E free when people come together and do their part. What does that look like? The Bible calls it a tithe. Can somebody say a tithe? 10% of our total income, we give it to God willingly.
Long before I was a pastor, I gave my tithe to the church. Why? Because I believed in what the church was doing. If you believe in what we're doing, give a tithe. Can I hear an amen? An offering is thing that you give above your tithe. So you, let's say you make $100 and you give that 10% to the Lord. How much would that be? $10. How much do you have left? $90. Now you can give an offering to the Lord. And we suggest in this church two great places to do it. Number one, you can give an offering to missions. Right now, one of the churches that we support in Pakistan is starting an SUM Bible college. Can we give the Lord a hand clap for that? Amen. SUM Bible College in Pakistan is now officially started. Pastor Mike sent me some videos. I'll put them up on Facebook. And you know why that is? Because we were there, Metro Praise, to connect those two organizations together. Think about that. Your church, this church right here, connected the Bible college called SUM together with the pastor, Edward, in Pakistan. I can tell you right now there's not a lot of uh, Bible colleges in Pakistan, right? You don't think about that being the Mecca of Bible colleges. I don't know how many there are, but I can guarantee you they're few and far and in between. That's what we do. You give to missions, you continue to help that. That's awesome, isn't it? When you give to building, what you're doing is helping this place look nice. We want to eventually get the carpet redone because it just seems like we wear out carpet no matter what we do, which is okay because we use it, amen? We want to make sure that the bathroom has air freshener. How many are happy about that? Amen. Those are the things it goes to, to make this place great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your provision, for the vision. Come on, everybody just say this with me. Jesus, I thank you for the provision, for the vision. Oh, amen. Lord, we thank you that we're here today. You're paying the bills, Father God. You're making a way for us to touch this community, and it stretches all the way to a place like Pakistan, Lahore, Pakistan. God, we thank you for this opportunity. Now, Lord, we ask you to bless your people here. Provide for them, God. Make opportunities of employment. When they work, God, I pray that they work unto you, Lord, so they can get raises and promotions. For those that have businesses, God, I pray that, Lord, they come up with creative means to be successful, to stay ahead of the curve. And, Lord, I pray for our children to grow up safe and healthy and strong. And that, Lord, we would lay up an inheritance for them and for their children to the third and fourth generation. Lord, I pray over this congregation the same promise you gave to Abraham, that you would bless us to be a blessing so that the nations may be blessed by what you do. I pray for them today, God. And I ask that you use us, Lord. And as our nation moves forward, we pray for the debt to be eliminated, corruption to be taken from our government, and, Lord, for you to bless this nation as well. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Amen. We have online uh, giving options as well, mpichurch.org. And I want you to say this with me today, meaning it, because I want to tell you, they are predicting either one of two things right now. You know what? You want to know the good news, the bad news? Here it is with our economy. We're either going to fall off a fiscal cliff or things are going to get better, okay? It's one or the other right now. Everybody's like, oh, we don't know, fiscal cliff or better, okay? Let's believe, God, that things are going to get better by God using the church because like, uh, like George Washington, we're thankful, amen? Let's say it together, one, two, three. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you're a cheerful giver, would you bless him today? Come forward as you give. Thank you. God bless you so much. Can't do it without you. Thank you.
Amen. Let's give it up for the band rocking it out a little extra. Come on. Would you open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 3, verse 11? Uh, Andrew, I have some notes for this online as well. God gave it to me when I was in the back there. I want to thank you for letting me preach to you these uh, tough messages last couple of weeks. I've really just uh, been just pouring out my heart. You know, Jeremiah was a real tough message, but God just spoke to us. I hope that you will never forget that, to be a prophet to this nation. And then last week, God's heart for the United States, that was another uh, tough word to hear. I know many of you were challenged by that. I hope that uh, you don't forget that. But coming into this month, knowing that Brother Anthony was uh, going to join us, I was like, man, what, what should I talk about uh, from what the Lord is dealing with me and my heart? What should I share? And I really just felt the Lord tell me, you know, not to have any series. Uh, you know, sometimes I can get seriesed out, and you guys know what I'm talking about. We'll have a series and a series. So I always like to kind of come in and break it up and really just hear what God is saying. And all of this week, as I've just been spending time with the Lord, I've just been having this sense of, hunger for God, just wanting to get closer to God, just wanting his presence, finding myself just picking out my favorite worship songs and just putting them on repeat, going for long walks with Jesus. And I just wanted to share that heart with you today. It's called the fire of God, the fire of God. If you're with me in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, would you say I'm there? Look at what Jesus said, or rather what uh, John the Baptist said about Jesus. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Everybody say, with fire. Thank you. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gather the wheat into the barn, and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Everybody say, unquenchable fire. What I want you to see as we talk about the fire of God is that John the Baptist describes the twofold purpose of the fire of God. Number one, the fire of God is to baptize and empower the believer. Everybody say baptize and empower. Thank you. He says, I've baptized you with water. That's what John the Baptist is saying. Hey, you know, I put you in water when you repented of your sins. And how many here have been baptized in water? Right? You've been baptized, most of you here. Well, then he goes on to say, I'm going, uh, the one coming after me is now going to baptize you in fire. So get this illustration. John the Baptist takes you to a river, puts you in water, literal water. And he says, that's what I do. Now the one coming after me, he's going to baptize you in fire. How many of you would get a little scared at that minute moment, you know? Like, hold on, I'm not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know if I want that. But what we see here is that the fire is representing something. It's not going to be a literal fire. He's not literally going to put you into an oven and bless you that way. So we see that the fire is symbolic of the power of God, empowering the disciple. And how do we see this in uh, today's world? You know, fire produces steam, and steam can, can uh, you know, make steam engines work. Furnaces can run on fire and then, you know, produce electricity. You know, heat can produce electricity. We see that fire then in the form of, like, lasers can uh, burn things away, get LASIK surgery. So we could see see like this power with heat can produce a positive thing. Are you all tracking with me? 
And all of those things we like, you know, combustion and all of that. Uh, engineers, please be patient with me. I am not an engineer, nor am I adequate to, to talk like that. But, but I think we understand that there is fire, combustion, and it produces energy. But I want you to see the next thing that, Jesus, uh, that John the Baptist says. It says what he's then going to do is he's going to harvest up the people and the ones who haven't followed his teachings, he's going to take them like chaff from wheat. And chaff is like the, uh, the kind of the, the material that comes around the wheat that's non-edible. It's kind of like the, uh, uh, the, you know, like we eat a banana and you have a banana peel left over. It's like the peel of the wheat. And it's really dry and it can be used to start fires. And when you don't want it, you put it on fire. So these agricultural people would, would pick up the wheat and then they would shake the wheat. And what would happen is all of the leaves of the wheat, the chaff, would fall off. And then they would take it like hay and put it uh, somewhere to be burned. And so John the Baptist says, this is what's going to happen when he comes. He's going to baptize his followers in this symbolic fire of power. But then the ones who don't follow him, he's going to gather them like chaff and put them in an unquenchable fire. And see, right there it gets a, it gets a little real. Because now this fire is no longer a symbolic fire. This fire is an unquenchable fire. That means it never goes out. So what do we see from the fire of God being described by John the Baptist? There is two purposes. Number one, to symbolically empower the disciple. And number two, to judge the world. I want you to see some Old Testament examples now of the fire of God. When you look to Moses in the burning bush, did you ever think about that was fire, burning that bush? But the fire did not burn the bush that was burning around the bush, but the bush did not get consumed. And in Exodus 3, 2, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire. So where did the angel of the Lord appear in? The flames of fire. So we see that God speaks through this fire. Then we see that God led the people through the desert by a pillar of fire. So we're not talking now about a symbolic fire like Jesus is mentioning in the New Testament. We're talking about a literal fire the people could see. Moses literally saw fire in a bush. Now we see that as they travel around, there's a pillar of fire. Andrew, would you scroll down there, please? Because I have a picture of what this looked like, an artist's rendition of what it might have looked like to be in the time of Israel where the pillar of fire was there at night and that was God guiding his people. How many of like would like to be around at that time? You just, you know, you, you don't need street lamps or anything. You just go out to the middle of the desert. It's like there's God right there. We're just burning the fire. You couldn't be an atheist right there. Are you listening? That's why the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there, there is no God. It's like, you know, the teenager, you know, like you need to obey your, you know, like the parents tell the teacher, you need to obey your parents because God said that. Well, I don't believe there's a God. Well, let's take you to the fire. Okay, okay. I believe there's a God. You know what I'm saying? Hello. But the fire of God was there, and this is what God used to lead his people. Then we look to Mount Sinai. In Exodus 19, 18, when God showed up to Mount Sinai and gave Moses the Ten Commandments, most people don't realize that what was around the mountain was a fire. That God literally set the entire mountain on fire. Look at what it says, Exodus 19, 18. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. 
The smoke billed up from it from the furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. A lot of times we think about God, you know, kind of just being like this uh, new age, you know, yoga, like he's just chill. He doesn't cause any problems. He doesn't offend anybody. How would you like to meet with God, have an appointment with him? And he says, I'll meet you by the mountain. And you come by the mountain. <laughs> the Bible says the people of Israel got scared. This is literally the breaking point from where God was going to make them all priests to where Moses had to be uh, the supreme leader and then all the priesthood had to be established and, and separated from the people because if you read this story, it says God wanted all of the people to be priests. That means he wanted to meet all of them face to face and talk to them like he did with Moses. But when they came to this burning mountain and it shook, they said, no, Moses, we don't want to talk to him. You just talk to them. And isn't that kind of like how it is today in the church? I mean, literally, we're all supposed to be able to talk to God. We're all supposed to be able to read his Bible. But what do we say? Pastor, you do that for me. Pastor, you read your Bible for me, and then you tell me on Sunday what it is, and I'll sit back and decide whether or not I'll believe it. We all should be now in the presence of God, that fire. The Bible then continues in the Old Testament that Leviticus uh, 7.5, that the daily offerings and sacrifices made by the priests were with fire. I don't know if anybody here has ever been to like Fogo de Chao. Has anybody ever done that? It's like a birthday present for me. It's like my favorite place. You know, I go there once or twice a year. Well, when you walk in, they have a big fire right there in the entrance, and they have a display of some of the meat getting burned, and you're like, yes, that's what I want. But you know who also wanted that? God wanted that. God said, I want there to be a continual fire burning in front of my temple. Go back to that uh, picture, please. Where there sacrifices being made. And what were they sacrificing there? They were sacrificing beef and cattle. I mean, you know that was a sweet aroma. And the Bible says it was a beautiful aroma to the Lord. Some of y'all looking at me crazy. Read your Bible. He wanted them to burn this meat. It was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. We're made in God's image, by the way. So what he likes, we should like, amen? So he liked this, and he wanted this to be burning all the time. So just stop and just think for a moment here. If you were in the time of the Old Testament, fire represented God to you in so many ways. Fire here is the pillar representing where God's presence is. Fire on the mountain when he speaks with people. Fire with the sacrifices. And then when you go further, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 25, Elijah the prophet is dealing with false prophets, and he says, let's put some sacrifices out here, and we'll call on God. You're, I'll call on my God, you call on your God, Baal. And whatever one comes down with fire and burns these sacrifices, we'll know that's the real God. So he used fire to demonstrate the power of God. Well, these prophets of Baal, they put out their sacrifices, they started cutting themselves, running around the fire, and it did nothing. Then Elijah, because you love him, he's kind of like a smart aleck prophet, but it's okay. He then digs a trench around the place, that his sacrifice. He then pours gallons and gallons of water on it. And then he says, God, bring down your fire. And God brings down the fire. And the fire not only consumes the sacrifice and the water, it consumes the rocks and the altar that the fire was on. We understand this now like a nuclear fire. like. And then you know what Elijah said? To the people of Israel, grab your swords and kill all of these false prophets. God's in the house. See, fire represented the power of God to Elijah at that time. You then continue on. This is where I want you to open up your Bibles with me. Second Chronicles chapter 7. 
One of the most powerful examples, and this is kind of where we're going today in our service, is that when Solomon dedicated the first temple of Israel to God, because when they were in the desert, that was called a tabernacle, which means like a portable tent. It was like a portable tent that they took everywhere they went. They called it a tabernacle. Solomon was the one who built a temple out of actual stone, uh, gold, you know, and all this precious uh, metals and wood. And, and when he dedicates it to the Lord. Look at what happens. And Solomon is David's son, by the way. Look at chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles, verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. So he puts out sacrifices for the Lord. He prays, and the fire of God appears. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Imagine this. Imagine if you were there, okay? We're in the temple of the Lord here in a sense. I mean, our bodies are what the Bible calls the temple of the Lord, but as well we operate here, this is like a temple, a gathering place. Imagine me praying, God showing up with real, literal fire, and then his presence being so thick in this place. Look at what happens, verse 2, that the priests could not even enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. Verse 3, when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down, the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good, his love endures forever. So imagine a couple of us are here, we're praying, the fire of God comes, you're coming to the parking lot, you see the fire of God, the glory of the Lord prevents you from even coming in and you fall on your face in the pavement and you start worshiping him saying, the Lord, he is good, his love endures forever. The fire of God represented his presence to them. And when it came, it came so strong that the priests couldn't even do their duties. And then the people couldn't even get inside. Oh, to God that his fire would come upon this place. That people in the parking lot would fall on their faces and say, The Lord, he is good. His love endures forever. My friends, I don't want church as usual. I don't want the same old, same old. I mean, I love my evangelical and Baptists and all my friends of different denominations, but my friends, I like what Moses said, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, how will the people ever know that we're different from all of the religions? I'm not here just to have a special speech for you every week, just to have some type of motivational message. This should be a place where the fire of God comes, where his presence dwells, where you have an encounter with God, where you're not the same again, and where it prevents foolish religion from continuing, and we can only worship him. I love what one Chinese believer said. He was a pastor of the underground church. He traveled all throughout America, and his perspective was so different than ours, you know, because in China it's illegal to have free churches. They have to register them with the communist state, and then they're told what to preach and what not to preach. So this underground house church movement has exploded in China. They say upwards of 50 million people are saved there now in our generation. It's tremendous. And one of these underground pastors, you know, he had been arrested and tried to, they put him in re-education camps. But, uh, you know, he got out and they brought him to America. And while he was here, they took him to all the churches, you know. And this man is used to uh, house churches or village churches. And they started taking him to some of America's largest uh, mega churches and said, we want you to see what God is doing here with all the freedom we have. Look at the buildings we've built. Look at the stadiums we fill. 
And his response back to the host that was taking him from place to place said, it's incredible what you've done without the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, it's incredible what you've accomplished without the power of the Holy Spirit. This Chinese pastor was going to services that were large and hearing choirs and hearing polished professional pastors that were speaking, and, and he wasn't moved in his heart. There was something that he could feel in those little house churches and those, those little Bible studies that wasn't being found in the cathedrals of men. The distinction he noted was well and it was correct. It was the power of God that was missing. And my friends, I want to encourage you today as you think about all that you can do in your life and as the holidays are coming forth, that you wouldn't forget that as the people of God, your pursuit of the presence of God should be a priority. The presence of God should be something that you can't live without. Because otherwise there's no difference between us, the Mormon, the Buddhist. We're all just believing something. But Elijah showed us back in the day that there was a difference. Our God answers by fire. Our God is a consuming fire. He'll consume your life. His presence will be powerful on the inside of you. And like how John the Baptist baptized in water, he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost in fire. I love that about our God in the time of Solomon. There was no doubt that God and his presence was in the building. And then you look to Jeremiah chapter 23, 29, one of the people that we've already spoke about here. God declares to him that his words, the words of God, are like fire to the dross of the prophets who are prophesying falsely. He says it like this in Jeremiah 23, 29. It's not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. He says, verse 28, let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully, for what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord. Now some of you here today, your hearts are hard, and that's why you hear this message, and it offends you, and it bothers you. Because what you would rather have me tell you is to do some type of reformation of your character. Do something different. You want me to tell you, you know, stop lying. We'll teach you not to lie. Stop stealing. We'll teach you not to steal. But when I talk about the fire of God, some of you, your heart is hard to it. It doesn't touch you. You almost wonder, like, why is he going on and on and on about it? The reason is, is because you've been deceived by another gospel. You've been deceived by false religion. In your mind, you think Christianity is about you. And it's not about you. It's about God consuming you. It's about God through you and the fire says he will come and make everything his way if, if today we had a fire in this building the fire would consume everything that could be burned when the fire of God comes into your life it consumes everything that's not of God this isn't just you changing yourself becoming a better person it's the fire of God transforming you into the nature of God his word Jeremiah said his word is like fire to draw us and some of you need to get out of this false mentality where I'm a Christian because I go to church. I'm a Christian because I read my Bible. I don't steal like I used to. I don't do this like I used to. How many know today there's Muslims that don't steal and don't cheat? How many know there's atheists that take care of their children, help them study to go to college? My friends, that doesn't distinguish you in God's mind. Are you baptized with this Holy Spirit 
and this fire? Do you have it? Do you have that passion on the inside of you that cannot be quenched by this world? It is not enough just to say, I love God, but you're giving everything you have to live for God. I want you to turn to another scripture, Daniel 7, verses 9 through 10. How many know I can say I'm a millionaire, but it doesn't make me one? How many know I can say I'm a Christian, it doesn't make me one? What, what's the differentiation between the person who says they're a millionaire and has got 20 bucks in the bank account and the one who says they're a millionaire and has a million dollars in the bank account? It's what they have. It's what they possess. What's the difference between the person who says I'm a Christian and doesn't live differently, has no transformation of heart and mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. All they have is an external form of religion. And the person who says, I'm a Christian, and they're on fire with the Lord, they're consumed with His wants, they're consumed with His desires, and anything that's not of God is burned up in their life. What's the difference between the, the fake and the, and the real, the genuine? It's the fire of God. What would you have done if you were in the time of Israel, you know, as you're turning there, Daniel 7, and, and maybe, you know, you heard about this. And by the way, they kind of did this with, you know, the uh, Moses and, and the Egyptians did this. They tried to produce false signs, you know. So imagine you're in the time of Moses, and there's a pillar of fire, and maybe you like to worship Baal. And so all the people in the surrounding, you know, villages, they're, they're looking at uh, Israel with this fire, and you're a prophet of Baal, and you're like, well, what do I do? Well, maybe I'll... I'll go over here and I'll build a bonfire and I'll set it on fire and then I'll point to it and tell everybody, look, don't worry about those Israelites. Don't worry about that manifestation of their power. Look, we got some power right here. Could you imagine that? How silly that would be. Somebody would come over and just kick it over and go, look, there's nothing powerful about this. Somebody would take some water and dump it on it and say, now try to do that with the pillar of fire the Israelites have. Try now to go over there and put your hands on it and stop it, kick it over. It's, there's not even a source from where it's coming from except by God. And the comparison of that today is we in churches, we want to build our little fire. And we want to say, oh, I got a worship band. We got a choir. We've got this. Well, look at us. We got the power of God. And my preacher even gets us to say amen every now and then. And we do good things in the community. Look at our fire right here. Look at our fire. And I feel that any discerning person can look at it and go, what is it? This is a man-made fire. We can kick it over. Stop running the air conditioning. They'll stop coming to your church. Worship for an hour instead of a half hour. Your wonderful audience will leave. Start preaching the full gospel instead of that little miniature gospel, and they'll get offended. Your little fire, your little enthusiasm is man-made. The fire of God is produced by God. It's sustained by God. It's not a religious act that I do and I do and I do. It's I'm letting, I'm letting, I'm letting. I'm letting God consume me. I'm letting God become everything in my life. I'm letting him burn everything away. That's the difference, my friend. It's the fire of God. You look at Daniel chapter 7. I love this. Daniel sees the ancient of days. Verse 9, Daniel 7, 9. He says, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. His hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. 
Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Do you know that our God has a river of fire coming from his throne? Our God is a powerful God. Our God is a consuming God. Now ask yourself a question. If you stood in a river of literal fire today, how much of you you think would look the same? How much of you do you think would look the same if you stood in a literal river of fire right now? Take you down to an iron uh, mine and put you where they're melting it down and throw you into that. You would melt. Nothing would be the same anymore. All of you would be gone. Now, my friends, put yourself in the fire of God. That's why the Bible says whoever's in Christ is a new creation. All has gone. Everything's become new. The Bible says that he's the blacksmith that makes the fire. No weapon of harm will will prosper against you, but he will make and design you the way he wants. It's the fire of God that transforms you and makes you totally different. You can't say I've been in the fire of God and still have your stinking thinking. You can't say you've been in the fire of God and you still live in perversion. You still live in bitterness. You still live and talk and act just like the world. You're not in the fire of God. You're in a man-made bonfire playing around with religion. Get in the fire of God. Let him consume you and you'll never be the same again. It's the fire of God that transforms you from the inside out. November 5th, 1995, at my mother's kitchen table, it wasn't me talking to God going, okay, God, you know, I struggle with drugs. You know, what steps do you want me to take? And I have perverted, a perverted heart. What books do you want me to read? No, what my mother taught me from an early age was get baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. I threw myself into the fire of God, and he burned out perversion. He burned out anger. He burned out bitterness in made me a new creation and he'll do the same for you if you'll let him consume you that river of fire from his throne will consume you today let's look at some of the new testament examples somebody say the fire of god you look at the new testament example turn with me to mark 9:49 this is where it gets real you see because in the old testament god's fire was a literal fire and they literally saw it In the New Testament, it now becomes a symbolic fire representing the Holy Spirit. But as we said at the beginning, not only is the fire for the believer, but the fire is also unquenchable for the unbeliever. And we know that is a literal fire because it's a fire without end. It's a punishment fire. But look at Mark 9, 49. Jesus says, everyone will be salted with fire. What that word salted there means is tested with fire. How many people are going to be salted with fire according to Jesus? Come on, somebody say everyone. One more time. How many people are going to be salted with fire according to Jesus? Everyone. Look at your neighbor and say, that includes you. Thank you. Everyone will be salted with fire. You can't say, well, pastor, I just don't want that. I think I'll pass on that. I don't know if I want to get in the river of God's fire. I'll get, just get in the river of the water of God because that's another illustration. So I'm just going to get into the little river and have a little pool party with Jesus. I don't want to go into the fire. I don't want to lose my attitudes. I don't want to lose my relationships. I don't want to lose these things. Let me give you some insight from Jesus. You will be tested by fire. 
It's one way or the other. You will either have it now to purify you and live for Jesus, or it will be burned unquenchably in the lake of fire. Listen to me. You will be tested by fire. You either have it now in salvation, or you have it then in damnation. That is what he said. Look at the next one. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. I love this scripture. Somebody say he loves it. I love it so I love it so much. I want to have it on our refrigerator. If there's anybody here that makes arts and crafts or crochets and you want to make us a pillowcasing, would you please put this scripture on it for me? This is what I want you to do. Luke chapter 12, verse 49, because I love Jesus when he acts like a man. Amen. I don't want sissy Jesus. I want manly Jesus. I don't want baby Dito Jesus. I want conquering king, Lord of Lords, Jesus. Jesus, hallelujah, speaks with authority and power. He is a king. He's not a pauper. He's not a beggar. He doesn't come to your house in the rain, you know, like in an old 50s black and white movie with his little trench coat on and his little top hat in his hand saying, excuse me, sir, might I come in and have a cup of tea with you? He is not a beggar. He comes to your town with a horse, and he says, all riding, come with me now or be destroyed by the host of heaven. He's a king. Verse 49, I have come to bring fire on the earth. Oh, hold up here, Jesus. I thought you came to bring us all free ponies. I thought you came, Jesus, to give my best life now and make every day a Friday. I thought you came, Jesus, so I could have the American dream and live out in the suburbs with the white picket fence. He said, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it already were kindled. And I have a baptism to undergo. How distressed I am until it's completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? He says, do you think I came to get along here? You think I came to be your friend? You think I came to win a popularity contest? Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. It's quiet when I preach like that, even in this church. That's all right. I'm going to preach it anyway. Amen. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against the other. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus, did you leave anybody out? No, your whole family's going to get divided over this. What's the division? The fire of God. Your mom doesn't want the fire of God. You guys are divided by fire. Parents, your children don't want the fire of God. You're divided by fire. Let me help you understand something, parents, that will put the fear of God in you and put the fear of God in your children. On the day of judgment, Psalms 1 and also Job speaks of this. If your children do not accept Jesus Christ, they will burn in hell fire for eternity, and God will erase them from your memory, and you will remember them no more. You will not be in heaven going, I wish my daughter was here. I will not be in heaven if my sister died drinking and driving going, oh, I wish my sister was here. Their memory will be erased from us because it will be officially divided by fire. Why is that important to us today? Because there ain't nobody worth going to hell over. You better make up your mind today. Do you want to suffer division for the sake of Christ? Or do you want there to be a happy Thanksgiving, a happy Christmas, so you can deny Jesus Christ? 
Denying Jesus Christ to have a temporary family reunion, a holiday as well, let's just not talk about it. That is of the devil. This faith in Jesus Christ will divide you even from the closest around you. I love my parents. And they told me very early on, you don't serve God, we will. You get to the age I can kick you out, I will. And they did. My 18th birthday was a set of keys to the car, a couple dollars in the gas tank, and a letter that said, we love you, but we got to let you go. Why? Because my parents made a decision. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My son does not serve the Lord. He is now out of this house. Goodbye. One of the best things they ever did for me because it brought me to the end of my ways. It brought me to the path of destruction like the prodigal son. I got to see what my own ways brought me to. A way that seems right to a man is good, but in the end it was death. And I think so many times, you know, I'm not saying we should be mean and angry with people, but so many times we want to appease them and make these compromises that God did not ask us to make. He said this Christianity, the kind that he brings, will not bring peace in your family. It will bring division until people come to him as the Prince of Peace. He said he, already, he wishes that that fire was upon the earth. What fire do you think he's talking about? Well, after his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit fire came. I believe that's what he's talking about because he said in that same uh, passage earlier that we read that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's the first fire, and Jesus wants it here, and, and it is here, but he wanted it then. And then what comes after that Holy Spirit fire? That fire of judgment, eternal fire. Everybody will be salted with fire. You make a decision now. Do you want the Holy Spirit fire to burn out your junk, or do you want to be divided? from your family sentenced to hell burned in the lake of fire the choice is yours look at your neighbor and say it's tight but it's right amen we then see in Acts chapter 2 the baptism of the Holy Spirit brings the fire that I believe the first fire Jesus was talking about Acts 2 3 there seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them I give you permission to stop believing that when you stop believing the other parts of the Bible. If you don't want to believe this, then you are forced to not believe anything in this Bible. The New Testament is our covenant. It is how we live. And this New Testament says that all of them up there, Peter, Mary, all of Jesus' relatives, whoever was there, James, his half-brother, Jude, his other half-brother, were up there. And the Bible says they got filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke in other tongues. And you say, well, I don't know if that's for me, Pastor. That sounds a little bit extreme. You go down to uh, Peter's words in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He makes it real clear for who it's for and for how long it's for. He said, but repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and all who are afar off for all who the Lord our God will call. Are you today being called by the Lord to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes, you are. Is the word of God being preached to you that you would get consumed with the fire of God? then how can you do anything but obey? The king is calling you to be consumed with fire. Look at Revelation 1.20. Somebody say the end of the book. 
Look at Revelation 1.20 talking about Jesus, the mystery of the seven stars. You see in my right hand Jesus talking in the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the seven angels of the churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The Bible says in his right hand symbolically that the church and the preachers are balls of fire in his hand. Do you guys understand that? He compares us to stars. What is a star? It's a ball of fire, is it not? Is it not a ball of fire, combustion and energy? And he says, this is how I look at him. As a matter of fact, elsewhere, he says, my ministers, my angels, they are like flames of fire. And then you look at Revelation 15, 20. Bear with me before we get to the application here. John, the revelator, sees here at the uh, year, uh, you know, around 70, excuse me, 90 A.D., he sees almost identical to what Daniel had seen around 500 B.C. Why has nothing changed? Because the throne of God never changes. John sees the throne of God here. And what does he see? Revelation 15, 2. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And standing beside the sea, there's, there were those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the, num- uh, uh, over the number of his name. They held harps and gave song unto God. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And here was the song they were singing next to this river of fire. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. Who is the king of kings? Jesus. What comes from his throne? A river of fire. In the book of Revelation, who is around that river of fire? People from the last days who have given their life for Jesus. People from Pakistan who are giving their life now for Jesus and others. Soon the Antichrist will come and there will be a slaughter of Christians Some of us believe that there will be a rapture, a sparing of our lives before then. But these righteous martyrs for Jesus, where are they placed? Right by the fire. And what song are they singing to our God? They're singing a song that Moses sung, who used to sing around the fire. And that fire is great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. What does the fire of God represent for us today? It represents the presence of God in our lives. The fire of God is not another thing you do, though there is an act of receiving. But it's not another thing you do. It's not like you have to throw another log on it to keep it burning. The fire of God is something that you let consume you. If there was a river of fire here today, of molten lava coming out of a volcano, would you have to put anything on it to make it burn more? Would you have to add any heat to it? It's already burning. It's transforming the landscape. All you would have to do if you wanted to be transformed by it is simply get in its way. Stand in it. How do you receive the fire of God? By faith. The same way you receive salvation. 
You come into God's presence and you yield yourself to him. And you say, God, I don't want 50 me, 50 you. I don't want you to put your fire in my life and leave 10% of my old life here. You come into the river of God's presence and you say, have all of me. Consume every part of me. What is the application? Number one today, you need to know that your God is a consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament quotes back from the Old Testament time of Moses in Deuteronomy and says this, our God is a consuming fire. In the verse beforehand, 28, he says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. Why should we worship God today in reverence and awe according to the writer of Hebrews? Because he is a consuming fire. When you worship God, who do you think of? You think of the actor from the Passion of the Christ? That ain't your God. Hello? You think of Dito, white, skinny Jesus from those old ones? White, blonde-haired Jesus couldn't even beat up a fly? Little ninny Jesus, is that how you worship God? You think about him, and I don't want to be offensive here, but that emaciated, white, paisley, European-looking thing in Catholic churches, there he is all wimpy, just all bones sticking by. Is that your Jesus? First of all, when he walked this earth, he was a man. He was a carpenter. You see any carpenters look like that? And the Bible says that he was strong enough to whip people out of a temple and nobody could stop him, not because of his, just, you know, the Holy Spirit, but because of his strength. He was a man. You ever try to carry a railroad tie up a hill? He did that after being beaten all night. He was a man. But in his flesh, the Bible says, becomes transparent in the kingdom of God, when he was on the mountain of transfiguration, he glowed like the noonday sun, brighter than anything they had ever seen. His glory lit up the place. Are you listening to me? He was transfigured into the glory. And then we look at Revelation and we see that's how he is in his glory. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet burn as a bronze in the fire. He is a consuming fire. This is your God. We're not saying worship fire, but we're saying your God is not just a measly old man in a statue. He is a consuming fire. In our modern day language, he's a nuclear bomb. He is not some little trickle of a little flame. He is a nuclear bomb. He is a consuming force. And you will be consumed by that fire one way or another. You will be consumed one way or another. You may say, Pastor, I don't believe this. I think my God is too gentle to do any of that. Wait till you see him on judgment day when the flames are coming from his eyes, his mouth flowing from the throne. He then will start throwing people into that fire. You, my friend, will understand what I'm talking about today. He will consume you either way. The choice is up to you. You will either be burned in the punishment of God. Revelation 20, 14 through 15 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And who goes there? Those whose names are not written in the book of life. I want you to hear this very quickly today. When people go to hell, that is a temporary place until judgment. When people go to heaven, that is a temporary place until judgment. When the great white throne judgment is upon the earth, God will then take those who have been in hell and throw them into the lake 
lake of fire. That is the final resting place. Those who have been in heaven, he will then give the new earth to. Because the Bible talks about us inheriting a new earth. The garden was lost through Jesus Christ. The garden is gained. We come back to this earth. Are you listening? But here is your choice. You will be salted either way. You will either be salted in his presence today in worship by the fire of God in his presence. In his presence you will find him burning away the junk of your life, nuclear, uh, nuclearizing your past, if there is such a word, demolishing the old you. You will either do that today, and then when the river of God comes upon this earth with the glass mixed with fire, you're going to be like, yay, hallelujah. Or you will be rebellious today, harden your heart towards God and say, I don't need that. That's not for me. And on the day of judgment, you will be thrown into the lake of fire. What, what would I do if I were you? I would ask God to baptize you today with his spirit and fire. I would, I would live for Jesus and get on fire for Jesus. I would let the fire of God consume you today. Get into his presence and you will never be the same again. Can you stand to your feet and give him a hand clap of praise? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Band, would you come? Come on, let's just praise him a little bit. Jesus, we worship you. We glorify you today, Father God. The answer for our lives is your fire. God sends your fire today. Sends your fire upon our lives. Would you just pray with me as we stand and get ready to dismiss? God, would you send your fire on us? God, would you consume everything in our lives that's not you, Jesus? Take away our excuses. Take away, God, those things that we put before you, those idols of our heart. Oh, God, consume us. Consume us, oh great consuming fire. Come on, don't stop because, come on, the band's up here. I want you to keep praying. Come on. If you don't know what to pray, close your eyes and say, Lord, soften my heart and heart. Put my heart in the fire. Put my heart in the fire, Jesus. Melt away my complacency. Melt away my excuses. If you don't feel Jesus right now, it's because your heart is hard. Your heart is hard. Sin will harden your heart, friends. Come on, keep praying, saints. Keep praying. Ask God to soften your heart today. You didn't come to church to do me a favor. I'll be here whether you come or not. You need to come to church to be in the fire of God. Come on, you didn't come here to do your parents a favor, your wife a favor, anybody a favor. You can go to hell if you want. We won't stop you. You are here today, and the preacher is giving you the opportunity to be consumed by the fire of God. Come on, we're not even calling up altar workers right now. I want saints to pray. I want saints to pray in this house because they believe the fire of God is what they need. Jesus, 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 fire of God is what I need. I yearn for your fire today, God. Burn away any chunk in my life. I don't want to be a hypocrite, Lord, after preaching to them that I allow areas of compromise to remain. Things that don't please you, Lord. Set my life on fire, Jesus. Set my life on fire, Jesus. Set my life on fire, Jesus. Bring a division in my life. Bring a division in relationships that I may have. 
with people you don't want me to be in relationship with because of your fire, Jesus. Purge me, God. Separate me, Jesus. Come on, the Bible says He comes in the worship. The presence of the Lord comes when we worship Him in fear, in reverence. Come on, if there was ever a time I needed some singers to sing some of their own songs to the Lord, your own worship is now. Come on, let's worship out of our own heart, out of our own fear of the Lord today. Come on, I worship God out of reverence. I worship Him out of awe today. I worship Him because He is great and marvelous. Jesus, You are good, God, and Your love endures forever. You are good, God, and Your love it endures forever. Saturate me in Your river of fire. Hallelujah. I release the fire of God over this congregation today. All those with hungry hearts wanting to be baptized in the Holy Ghost in fire. Receive Him now. Receive Him now. If you haven't spoke with other tongues, just raise up your hands and God will give you heavenly languages. Heavenly languages. Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus. If we don't have your fire, what are we, God? Who are we without you? Who are we without your presence? We're no different than false religion. We're no different than the works of men. Send your fire. Send your fire upon the old, upon the young. Fuego, fuego, fuego de Dios. In this house, fuego, fire, fire of God. Espiritu Santo, fuego. Hallelujah! Consume us! Consume us! It's not religion! It's a relationship with you! Oh, I don't want to be the same again! I don't want my family to be the same again! Fire! Fire of God! Fire of God! Fire of God. Jesus. Jesus. Before we worship, just a few more moments in his presence. Want to read to you a song by William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army in the late 1800s who understood this principle that without the fire of God, there would be no successful preaching, that without the fire of God, there would be no transformation of hearts and lives. He wrote these lyrics that became famous in the Brownsville Revival. This is what he said. He said, make our weak hearts strong and brave. Send the fire. To live a dying world to save. 
send the fire. Lord, we're here tonight on your altar. Send the fire. We give our lives to you today. Send the fire. I want you just to raise your hands. We're not going to shout it. But I want you just to raise your hands right now because it's not an emotion either. It's not like, ah, I got the fire. It doesn't matter how it comes as long as he comes. I want you just to raise your hands and say, God, send your fire. Come on, one more time. And now just start to pray in those areas of your life that he reveals to you where you need the fire of God. Send your fire, God. Send your fire, God. In my heart, in my attitude. Send your fire, God. Send your fire, God, to my weak heart. Make me strong and brave, Jesus. For some of you to leave relationships behind, for that division to come, you're going to need to have strength. May the fire of God make your weak heart strong and brave. Come on, lay your life at his altar today. Think about that. You lay your life at his altar like they gave animals to an altar, and he sets you on fire. He changes you. Come on, as you're just praying and meditating, I want to give you an illustration. You know, we're precious in the heart of God. We're like precious gold. And when you watch these shows, like Gold Rush and these shows where they're looking for gold, when you see what they find, it's so little compared to all the dirt around them. They have to get to it by digging and digging and digging and, 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 and purifying, and then there's just like this speck. But even then, it's not to be worn or fashionable. They take that gold and they put it in a fire and they heat it up. And the things that are unclean, the dirt, the other minerals burns away. And that gold becomes pure and usable before God, before men. I want you to think of your life that way. That you are just like dust of this earth, just like clay. But yet God puts something precious on the inside of you. And he gets through all the junk of your life, all this other stuff made of clay through your job and your problems with relationships. And he gets you to realize that there's something more special about you than what you own, what you have, what other person you're with. And he gets you to understand you have a spirit and a soul, and that's like that goal. But he says, it's not the way I like it, though. It's not the way I use it. I want to set you on fire. I want to purify all that the devil has done in your life, all that he has stuck in your soul that you can't seem to shake, all the junk all around you. Yeah, there's something precious there, but there's so much junk, it's unusable. God says those are the things 
that I want to burn away from you. Some of you are so upset with your life because of your past, and, and yet you blame God. You say, God, how could you do this? Why would you allow this? And yet God is saying, I want to burn it from you. He's the one saying, I have the solution. The devil has polluted you. He polluted your parents, your father, your upbringing. He says, but I have the solution. So all here today, if your heart is polluted by the junk of your past, the fire of God is your only hope. And those of you here that have other issues... And you say, well, these things, they keep me from God. I keep making these same mistakes. I, I just can't get this stuff out of my life. These problems are so big. You know what God says? My fire will consume it. You deal with perversion, sexual immorality. You've done it since you were a kid. You looked at pornography since you found it in your house under your dad's bed. You, you've been living in homosexuality, lesbianism. You've been involved in these things, and it's such a part of who you are. There's no way to separate it on your own from you to that junk. The fire of God is your only hope because the fire of God will burn it all away and leave what is pure. He'll leave what is holy. For all those today with a hard heart, because you've been trying to live for God on your own and you've been trying to clean the dirt out of your heart and place of, of gold, out of your little gold mind of your heart, God is saying to you, put it in my furnace. And before I close out in prayer, I'm going to ask these altar workers to come. But I want you to stay in this attitude of prayer because I've seen so many people quit on God. And the number one reason why people quit on God is because they won't allow God to set their lives on fire. They won't allow it. But I want to ask you a question today. Will you allow God to set your life on fire? That's going to make the difference on whether or not you make it. As if you let Him set you on fire. Let's pray. Father, I ask you now to speak to all those here who need transformation of heart and mind that only can come by your fire. I ask you right now, Father God, that you will speak to hearts, that you will reveal yourself, Father God, so that no one here can leave out the same way they came. And that, Lord, as we get ready to dismiss and worship, if there are those here who need to be cleansed by your fire, sanctified, God, they won't make any excuses, but they'll lay their lives here at these altars. 
And Lord, if there's any here who are not baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, like your first disciples, may they come, humble themselves, and pray and say, God, what you did for them, what you do for me. I pray you do it now, God. And for those that are on fire, would you keep our hearts burning? Would you keep our lamps burning? You said the end times, God. It's like the illustration of, of ten virgins with candles preparing the way of a wedding feast. Ten foolish virgins didn't bring enough oil for their lamps, and ten wise ones did. As the night grew on, those without enough oil, their lamps went out. They asked for more oil, but none was given, and only those whose lamps were burning were brought into the celebration. You taught us, God, that we're to stay burning until you come. Whether we're eight or 88, God, may we keep our lamps burning by the oil of the Spirit until we see you face to face. If you believe it, will you give him a hand clap of praise and bless him today. Amen. God bless you. Stay in the fire if you want to worship. The fire's burning. If you want prayer, the fire's burning. Otherwise, we will see you in the fire at Life Groups. God bless you. Come on. Come on. We're taking it to another level. Jesus. Jesus. For all those who stay, God.